What does God see when he looks at you? What's his character, really? Well, anyone who's even entertained the thought of the divine has had to struggle with this question, and religions of the world stem from theories and guesses as to the very nature of who God is. But God's answer to these questions is Jesus, the embodiment of the Almighty. Today, Neil shows us how Jesus reveals God's character in his statement, Before Abraham was born, I am. Welcome to Challenge. But Aaron kicked us off last week uh, with a series of I am, and we're looking at some of the I am statements of Jesus and things he said about himself and, um, you know, things that uh, kind of clarified who he was like. And tonight, what I want us to look at is probably the most outrageous statement he made the entire time that uh, he was here on earth. You know, I mean, it was one that when people heard it, they were like, what? You know, and I mean, they were like looking at him like, no, 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 no. That, that cannot be true. That cannot be true. But, you know, he wasn't uh, the only one that's ever done. I, I wanted to show you a couple of outrageous statements that I, I found over the years. Like 1966, John Lennon, speaking to the London Evening Standard, said this. Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I know I'm right and I will be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. And you know, I think, well, good question. Uh, you know, but um, John's gone. Jesus isn't. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I always bet with the one that's still around, you know, and uh, I think, you know, he wasn't the only one. Now, for those of you that are Clippers fans, Steve Ballmer, in 2007, speaking to USA Today, said this, there is no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. No chance. Now, in December of 2019, about 12 years later, uh, iPhone had 49% of the US market share. So kind of like, you know, maybe he didn't hit that one right. You know, maybe it's not well. The statement we're going to look at that Jesus made tonight is one of those that when he said it, it, it was something that kind of stunned the first century people. And so he'd been talking with some Jewish leaders to give you a little bit of background on this. He'd been talking to some Jewish leaders <clears throat> and all of a sudden things began to get kind of testy with them and they began to question things about his uh, background and they began to, you know, call him some names and say some things. And so then in uh, John chapter eight, in verse 51, he starts out this, and this is what he says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. Then in verse 56, Jesus picks up, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not older than 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, and here's the statement, men and women, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, they didn't pick up stones to throw at him because he was having a bad grammar day, you know, that he just kind of stopped, you know, before Abraham was born, I am. You, you am what? I mean, you know, no, actually the term he uses there is a term 
that goes all the way back to Exodus 3, when God uh, demonstrates who he is, and he's talking to Moses in Exodus 3. And Moses says to him, God says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him, let my people go. And Moses says, well, who, who am I to say said that? And he said, you will tell them, I am sent you. And he says, I, I am? Yeah, I am. And God says to him, I am that I am. This was the most sacred name of God, actually translated in the Hebrew, uh, we would translate the I am Yahweh. But it was such a sacred name that none of the Jews would even pronounce this. In fact, if you look in many of your Bibles, what you'll find when you look in the Old Testament, it'll say the Lord, and it'll be capitalized L-O-R-D. That's because that's not really what that says. What that really says is I am says, or Yahweh says. It was the sacred name that the Jews in that day would not even, they wouldn't even say the name. They would say things like, you know, the Lord, or they would say Jehovah, or they would say something like that in order to communicate because the name, they held such reverence for it. It was undoubtedly the identifying name of God. In fact, one of the things you see is that scribes, whenever they went to write, they were translating uh, Old Testament and they were writing things. They didn't call it the Old Testament then, by the way, but they were translating and writing. What they would do is as they wrote, when they came to this word, they would put down their pen, pick up a brand new pen, write the name, put that one down, pick up the other one and proceed on. That's the reverence with which they said this. So when Jesus steps on the scene and says, I, before Abraham was born, I am. You can begin to see why that was such an outrageous statement. You can begin to see what they were thinking. They look at him like, you know, how in the world could you ever say such a thing? See, here's the difference between Jesus' statement and John Lennon's or Jesus' statement and Steve Ballmer's. Jesus' statement was true. What he said right there was absolutely true. Now, some were okay with thinking of Jesus as like a, a religious leader. Others were fine with thinking of him as like, you know, a prophet. Um, others were fine with thinking of him as, as you know, uh, some moral kind of leader. But what he was claiming here was none of that. What he was claiming here was that he was God in the flesh come to earth. And this shook them up tremendously. See, first impressions are very powerful. You know, we get first impressions of people all the time. Sometimes you'll just, you'll walk in, you'll meet somebody and they say certain things, or maybe they're dressed a certain way, or maybe just, you know, maybe they're from someplace where, whatever the thing is, you know, you'll meet somebody. And a lot of times you'll have a first impression. And a lot of times those first impressions are wrong. People do the same thing with God. A lot of times what you'll find with people is they have an impression of God. They think, well, you know, this is how I thought of God. Maybe it's because of some experience they've had. Maybe it's because of, of uh, some tradition they were raised in. Maybe it's just because, you know, just they were watching Miss Fran from Storyland or something, and they just had this idea. That's what God's like. And so they have this idea, and it's really hard for them to shake that idea. It doesn't matter whether it's really grounded in truth sometimes or whether it's not, 
it's hard for them to shake that. And what Jesus does is when Jesus steps into the picture and he takes on flesh, he allows us to see an accurate understanding of this is who God is and this is what he's really like. Now, Jesus was making sure when he said this, like he didn't just, you know, say this and go, oh, gosh, shouldn't have said that. No, no, no. He was very, very intentional in what he was saying here. He was very intentional in what he said. Now, why did he say it? He wanted us to know exactly this is what God is like. This is what he's like. So what do we learn from, about God from uh, looking at Jesus? What, what kind of things do we learn? I think we learned two things, and that's what I like to spend our time on tonight. We learn how to picture God, and we learn what God really thinks about us. We learn how to picture God, and we learn what does God really think about us. And so let's take the first one. We learn how to picture God. We learn how to picture God. In John 1, 1, John writes this. He said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now you go on as you read the rest of John chapter 1, what you find out is when he's talking about the word, he's talking about Jesus. But when you look at that, you think, why does he describe him as the word? You know, why does he do that? Well, the function of a word is to give us a mental picture. You know, if I say something like um, um, microphone, you don't think of something like this. You know, if I say something like, you know, chair, you, you don't all of a sudden think of something like this. Well, some of you may, you sit on this, but I mean, I'm not talking that. I mean, you don't think of this. You have a mental picture in your mind of this is a chair or this is a microphone or this is whatever. What Jesus was doing when he is described as a word, John is saying, Jesus gives us a clear mental picture of this is what God's like. If you ever want to know the heart of God, look at Jesus. You ever want to know, what would God do if he were living my life right here in my place on earth as a human? Look at Jesus. You find out exactly what he would do. And so Jesus gives us a, a, a clear picture of God. Now, what did he reveal about God in that clear picture? Well, one, he revealed the power of God. You know, in Mark chapter 4 and chapter 5, you begin to see in one point in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is going across the lake with his disciples, and it says the storm arose, and they're over there, and all of a sudden, you know, the boat is filling up with water, and they're all scared spitless, and they're running around there, and they look back, and Jesus is asleep. You know, I mean, he had a long week and, you know, they're over there and they come and they wake him up and they go, don't you care? We're perishing. And Jesus gets up and goes, stop, stop. And the wind stops blowing and the waves stop crashing. And the disciples go, whoa, who is that? And he shows power over nature. Then you see him uh, just, just after that, he steps into the situation and uh, he arrives on the other side, and when they arrive, there's this gathering demoniac that comes running down, and he's, you know, screaming and yelling and breaking all these chains and doing stuff. And Jesus cast out the demons from him, and suddenly the guy sits there clothed and in his right mind. And you begin to see, wow, he has power over spirits. He has power over the demonic, you know. Then he begins to go along, and this guy runs up and says, my daughter, she's really sick. Can you come see her? And 
Jesus says, well, yeah, you know, let's move that way. And as he begins to walk along, it says this woman grabs the cloak of his, um, of his robe, as he, at the end of his robe as he's going along. And he stops and, and says, you know, who touched me? They're like, a crowd. Uh, but he turns around and she said, you know, it was me. And she's healed as she touches his robe. And you, you begin to see he has power over this disease that has struck her for I don't know how long. And then just a little bit later, they come to him. They tell the guy that had come to Jesus about his daughter. They said, forget it. She's gone. And Jesus says, you know what? Just believe. And he walks on over, heals the girl, brings her back to life. He has power even over death. And so you begin to see, wow, Jesus shows us again and again and again, this is the power of God. This is who God is. This is what he does. He calls the shots wherever he is. He's the one in charge. Another thing he shows you is, you know, not only the power of God, but he shows you the love of God. And he he shows that in a variety of ways. He shows that in the way he accepted people. He shows that in the way that he served people. He shows that in the way he befriended people, in the way he met needs, in the way that he forgave. Over and over and over, you see, he practically loved people right where they were. And over and over, you, they began to get a picture. That's what God's like. God really loves. Lastly, you know, one of the things he did was he, he began to show them the holiness of God. In fact, in, in the verse right there that you see in uh, 1 John 1, 15, he says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. In other words, He is totally pure. He is totally holy. In fact, if you look over in in like the book of Isaiah, it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And and sometimes you read that, you think, why do they say that? I mean, is that kind of like a modern uh, deal? Like, you know, where it's like uh, a chorus where it's like six words and you sing them a hundred times. Is that what that is? You know, it's like, no. See, the reason he said that in Hebrew, they don't have words like E-R, and E-S-T. So there's not like holy, holier, holiest. When they want to emphasize something and they want you to know how it is, if it's holier, they would say, holy, holy. When it is the absolute top, they go, holy, holy, holy. In other words, there's no one more holy than God. He's the holiest. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So Jesus shows us all of those. Now, here is the thing, men and women. And if you remember nothing else tonight, which you may remember nothing else tonight, but if you do not, remember this. Our concept of God is key. And the reason is our response to him is based upon our concept of him. Our concept of God is key because our response to him is based upon our concept of him. Now, let me tell you a little bit what I mean by that. For instance, we talked about Jesus looks at God in those days. But if the only way you think about God is powerful, then you may think of God in terms of like a general or kind of a CEO. And so, you know, we, we tend to think of that as kind of impersonal and, and we, would, we would relate to him like that. You know, we kind of show up, all right, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. Give me the orders for today. And I mean, that's how you relate to him, because if he's powerful and that's all that you think of him, that's how it is. 
Now, if all you think of him is, is as loving, then you think of him kind of like uh, my grandkids think of me. They kind of come in and they go, Papa. And I go, what? And they go, we need to talk. What they're saying is, there's candy in this house. I will have it. And you will give it to me because you're loving. You'll give me anything I want. And let's just face it. That's exactly how some people look at God. You know what? God can't resist me. He's going to give me what I want every time I want. No, actually, that's not a complete picture of him. On the other hand, if you think of God as, as holy, and that's really the main picture you have of him, you don't really think of him like a CEO or a grandfather. You really think he's kind of the inspector. And so you, as you think of him, you operate out of a mode of fear. Or you operate all the time thinking he's probably disappointed in me. That's probably how he is. But here's the thing. We need a concept in our mind that causes all those different facets of God's character to make sense. And that's exactly what we see in Jesus. What Jesus says is, he is father. See, father encompasses all those. A father has power. A father is one who, you know, is set apart. A father is one who's really loving. A father has all of those things. Now, for some of you, that may be a hard concept. You know, some of you, depending on your background, some of you, God willing, you grew up in a house where, boy, dad was not a bad word. I mean, it was like, you know, your fathers really showed you a lot of love. Maybe they really showed you a, a whole picture of this is what God's like. But for others of you, you haven't experienced that. And for some of you, you know, you kind of look at it and think, ah, father, really? I mean, hmm. And, you know, the reason we do that is we kind of think Jesus if he's saying God's father, then, then God is kind of this reflection of my earthly father. No, no, no. God is the perfection of your earthly father, not the reflection. And what you see is God is everything your father should be. And so you can come to him. That's one of the things Jesus wanted us to see. You can come to him as father, and you can find in him all the things your heart desires everything your heart desires. So that brings us to the second thing, which is we learn from Jesus. What does God really think about us? Now we talked about, he taught us to think of God as father. And, um, you know, he points out the heart of the father. He points out this, you know, this is what God thinks of you. This is how you can understand how God sees you. And he does it in three stories. And so in Luke chapter 15, what you see is Jesus begins to show us this is what is on the heart of God. If you want to know what kind of makes his heart beat and makes it go faster, you know, this is what's on the heart of God. So in Luke chapter 15, I'd like to just take a minute. I'd like us to read through some of this so you can kind of uh, get a picture of what's going on. Jesus had just been talking to some of these guys, again, some of the religious leaders who were really giving him kind of a hard time. And so Jesus comes to him, he says, let me tell you a story. No, no, let me tell you three. And so then he starts off and he says this. He says, um, so he told them this parable saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which was lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant land. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. And he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. Oh, this thing is moving. Um, and he would gladly fill his stomach with the pods which the swine were eating and no one was giving him anything to eat. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and um, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now, do any of you ever wonder, I wonder what God thinks about me. I mean, I know kind of what he thinks about the world in general. John 3.16 tells me that. But, um, you know, what does he think about me? Just me, personally. One of the things you begin to see through some of these stories of Jesus is he begins to give you a picture. of This is exactly what God thinks. Not only what he thinks about the whole, but this is what he thinks about each person individually, too. And what you see is this. <clears throat> There's three themes that run through all three of those stories. And they're repeated three different times. The first theme is this. The first theme is just the focus of God's concern. The focus of God's concern. First, his concern is for what's lost. And Jesus relates to them. He says, you know, suppose you're like a shepherd with a lost sheep, or you're like a, a woman with a lost coin, or you're like a father with a lost child. And then he poses them, how would you feel? What would you do? You know, think about that. What do you do when you lose something? Well, usually you get mad, you blame others, and then you are totally obsessed and spend way too much time looking for what you lost. That's exactly how God is without the attitude. 
You know, I mean, that's, that's what he's like. You know, he is obsessed. He is like, you know, I am going to find them. That is what I'm going to do. I, I, I'm going to go after them. I'm going to pursue them. Now, we found that one time uh, when our kids were little. We have four children. Um, one girl, three boys. Well, actually, one girl, three boys. And um, our sons were, when they were, you know, down there, they loved to go to the beach. They loved to play. Our youngest, um, Samuel, who's now the biggest, but he's, he was our youngest. He was a little lad back then. And we're down and we're at the beach one day. And so we're going along and a bunch of the students were, oh, that's me. Uh, a bunch of the students were uh, down there with us. And so we're all playing at the beach and hanging out and doing stuff. And Samuel would like to go down to the water and follow the students down to the water. Now you kind of worry about that when he's two and you're thinking, you know, hey, those waves come in, you know, one wave and you could be gone. Uh, and I'd seen Jaws. I know what happens. And so, you know, I thought, no, no, no. You know, I'm kind of pulling back up in here and he's running everywhere. And all of a sudden, you know, some of the students are talking to me and we're talking about something like that. And I turn around and my wife says, or Samuel. What? Well, he's right. Somewhere. And I start looking around. No Samuel. And I look out, and all I see is this little shovel down by the water. I'm like, no way. I mean, I am out in the water. I am scurrying around. I am going back and forth. And then someone says, well, I don't think he walked towards the water. Maybe he walked up, like, towards uh, where the cars are. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And, I mean, I'm up, and I'm looking at people. I think, I've seen movies. I know what you're – and I'm going through. I am – man, I am all over the place I am in a panic, and I spend like probably 20 minutes just running here, running there, looking around, looking there, looking. And all of a sudden, one of our guys, I hear, him, I hear this whistle, and I look down, and he's walking along. Here's Samuel, you know, walking along with him, you know, and he gets back and goes, Micah, he left me. You know, and I thought, Micah left you? He's our older son. Turns out, no, Micah had just gone to the bathroom and Samuel started, you know, following him and then started, oh, look, you know, water and was walking around and just got lost. And he thought Micah had kept on going. So he walks like three lifeguard stations down, you know, and they find him and he's down there. And, you know, he was, as he was at that age, many times, just mad, uh, you know. And so we found him. But I'll tell you what, there was an all out search that was on for him. And I guarantee you, you know, it was going to last until we found him. You know, that's how God is with us. I mean, he is, you know, relentless. You know, he wants to find us. He, 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 he's all about that. So, you know, the first thing you see, when Webster talks about lost, what he says is this, lost means unable to find your way, unable to find your way. And one thing you see about God, he is deeply interested in the lost. But through the three stories, you also see he's, his, the focus of his concern is he's also deeply interested in the individual. Did you notice in each story the common thing? How, how many sheep were lost? One. How many coins? One. How many sons? One. See, God is intent to pursue each person, each individual. He is, he is not just thinking about the group. He's not just thinking about, you know, a few that he really likes. No, no, no. 
He's thinking about each and every one of you. And sometimes you can kind of sit around and especially like you get to a place like SC, you know, and there's 47,000 people there and you're kind of looking around at all that. And then, you know, you live in LA and there's like millions of people there. And all of a sudden you can begin to think, you know, I, I don't really matter that much. And God says, no, 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 no. You are very, very, very special to me. You are very special to me and my focus is on you. And so Jesus really helps us to see that picture of God. The second thing that you see that kind of goes through that is not only God's deep concern for each and every one of us, but the second thing is just the intensity of his pursuit, the intensity of his pursuit. Out of his intense concern, what he does is he pursues us. Now, think about this. How many of you don't like to be pursued? I mean, you all like to be pursued, don't you? I mean, of course you do. You love it when, you know, someone is like interested enough in you that they pursue you. That's what flirting's all about. You know, I mean, you know, people flirt and they're kind of like, oh, you know, and then people start falling around there. Huh? Well, what do you know? And, you know, that, that's the whole game that people are playing back for is they love to be pursued. Or like someone calls you for a job and they say, we've seen your resume along with, you know, 14,000 others. Um, but we've seen, and we are so impressed with you. And you're like, really? <laughs> what, what, what trait did you like about me the best? <laughs> Go ahead, tell me another. You know, why? We love to be pursued. You know what, men and women? It's that multiplied by infinity that should really capture our hearts when we find out the creator of the universe, the one who's designed it all, is the one who's pursuing us. He is intent on pursuing us. And you think, well, how long is he going to pursue us until we're found? I mean, how long would you want someone to pursue you if you were lost? You know, that's exactly how long God will pursue you. Now, there's going to come a day that he says he's going to pull the curtains down on history, and that's going to kind of be it. He'll kind of wrap the thing up. And after that, the pursuit is off. So when he offers us the opportunity to respond, you know, I mean, you know, we, we want to think about that seriously because, you know, one day that response time's not going to be there. But God is relentless in his pursuit. He's not only relentless just in, in his pursuit of us, but he's, you know, in the, in the way he goes about that, his, his compassion for us is another thing. God is, is so compassionate towards us. You know, just as a father has regard for, it, for his son, you know, just as, you know, you begin to look there, that son had gone off. He'd done all sorts of things. He, he had basically, you know, told the father, I don't want anything to do with you. And yet when he comes back, what was the father's response? Yeah, go ahead, you know, tell me about how you want to be a servant. I want this in writing. Was, was that his? No, that wasn't his heart. That wasn't his heart at all. I mean, he cuts him off right in mid-sentence and says, no, no, no. Get a robe, get a ring, get a water bottle, get all these things right here. You know, get those things. He says, bring these here to him and take care of him. Why? This is my son that was lost, and now he's found. 
And it was the heart of compassion that you found there with him. You know, God, God pursues us and he pursues us intently, but he also pursues us compassionately. He loves us. He is about reuniting us with himself. The third and the last theme. The third theme is joy, the theme of joy when the lost is found. Joy when the lost is found. You know, there's a time of celebration. There's a party. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, you know, one, God has the opportunity to extend his grace. Whether it's extending grace and helping, you know, this person find the lost sheep or extending grace and in helping, you know, someone find a lost coin or extending his grace as we return as lost children. And he gets a chance to extend his grace and to show us more of his heart and show us more of what he is really like. So one of the great reasons is, you know, he has a chance to extend his grace. Another reason why there's such joy is the lost have been restored. Well, restored to what? Well, you know, if you're a coin, restored to usefulness, you know. If, uh, you know, you're a son, restored to relationship. And so one of the things you see over and over is, you know, God is relentless pursuit of us and the joy that's found when we finally respond. Now, some of you, you know, you may have never done that. You may have never actually responded to the pursuit of God because some of you, your concept of God that you've had, you know, you were kind of sitting there thinking, you know, actually, I don't really look at God because I'm afraid that if I look back there, that really what God is like, he's kind of like, eh, and boy, he's just waiting to smack me. You know, and I, I don't really want to, I don't want to really see that. And so some of you kind of shy away from that and your response is based on your concept. But what Jesus wanted you to see is this, what Jesus is saying is, no, no, no. If you turn around and you see God as I have presented him in the flesh, then what you see is that when you, you know, dare turn around, that God is waiting there with open arms. He's not waiting there to smack you. He's waiting there to love you. He's waiting there to welcome you back into the fold. He's welcome to welcome you into a relationship. Now, some of you, you know, you've never done that. Well, I would encourage you, you know, Step into that relationship. He wants to throw a party. I mean, the angels are up there thinking, hey, hey, we need another party. Good night. Let's do it. You know, so do that. Some of you, maybe, you know, you're like the prodigal son. You've been in a relationship, but you haven't really appreciated it. In fact, maybe, you know, in the middle of that, you, you've just really, you know, um, lived like you weren't even in a relationship with him. What God says to us clearly through the life of Jesus, hey, I'm ready to welcome you back and I'm ready to step into a relationship to have you restored to the very thing that I called you to in the first place. So when Jesus made this outrageous claim, he was doing two things. He was giving us a picture of God and he was helping us to understand exactly what God thought about us. One of the things we talk about sometimes um, here is we'll, we'll talk about, you know, it's a good idea to pray. And the reason we say that is because there are things God will do if you pray that he won't if you don't. Now, I don't want you to get a wrong idea about something here. 
I don't want you to get the idea that, you know, we just, you know, control the hands of God and we just tell him and he just is like, you know, I'll be right back as soon as I finish this for Audrey. And then, I'll, you know, no, it's not like that. It's like, you know what? We get the opportunity, we get the privilege to go before the all-powerful, all-loving, all-holy Father. And as his children to say, would you intervene here and would you uh, do this? Now, your faith isn't in like the great number of people praying. Your faith is in the one they're praying to. God is not obligated to do anything. He's God and he's God all by himself. But sometimes, you know, he may say, yeah, you know what? I could do that like that because you've asked. And so, you know, that doesn't obligate him when we pray. We offer that. That's why we say we ask. We don't demand. We ask. And, I, and I'd like you, you know, to, to let God go, no, God, we're not asking this because we're all that. Honestly, we have no merit. But we're asking this through the name of Jesus because he's the one who has paid a way for us to have a relationship with you. He's the one who's paid a way for us to be able to even talk to you about these things. Father, we uh, thank you that um, we can uh, come to you as a child to their father um, because of Jesus and because of uh, what he did and the price he paid. And uh, Father, because um, he's really paved a way to you for us. We trust you. Um, you are a good father and you, uh, you know exactly what is best. And so we surrender our will. We surrender anything that, that we desire that we would try to assert above yours. And we tell you that we rest in you and we desire that you would act. Thank you um, that we can come to you. And we pray those things, Father, in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music, where you can also leave us a five-star review because it really helps us. This episode, this episode was recorded live at the University of Southern California, and we'd love for you to join us if you're in the area. So get involved and find out more about us, upcoming events, and our weekly small groups on Instagram at USC Challenge and on our website, uscchristianchallenge.com.